First off, when this episode gets published tomorrow, it will be episode 100 of the podcast, which is incredible. And so for everyone that's here live and also everyone that's listening, um, thank you, especially for the people that show up every week and the people that listen afterwards, the feedback, um, the encouragement. I, I say this all the time, but I really mean it. I literally, this is my favorite thing to do, especially like five minutes in where I start to feel the energy of everyone. And it just like, it's awesome. And so, um, just really grateful for all the listeners. Also grateful that so many people get uh, value out of the podcast. And so thank you. And we will continue to rock and roll and innovate over here to, uh, to continue to help you get better in marketing. So with that said, Let's cover, uh, we're going to go a little out of order here, but this is something that uh, I'm sure a lot of, you know, a lot of people on here encounter, which is, and I'm kind of like covering it in the paid social angle, but I'm going to zoom out too. And so the topic is, is why direct attribution on paid social fails specifically for sales led motions, right? Like I get that you might be able to have some type of e-commerce product or some type of, you know, uh, self-serve freemium where you can jam people into a free trial and then hopefully you can squeeze enough out into paying users that you can try and make the math work. But when you start selling complex deals, like trying to get someone out of uh, LinkedIn, even like I say, Facebook is the example a lot, but LinkedIn, even we continue to run these tests because our customers force us to. And so we run the tests and we run direct response on LinkedIn, whether it's an ebook or even straight to a get a demo ad and the exact same result happens. And so like, it just, uh, it just doesn't work. And so we're going to zoom out, which is we're talking about attribution, but if you take a step back, it's it, outside of paid social, it's, it's why your obsession with attribution ruins your marketing. And so um, with that said, it's, it's why you don't see a lot of companies take a podcast seriously because there's no attribution. It's why you see a lot of companies not take LinkedIn organic content marketing seriously because there's no attribution. It's why companies don't um, run paid social the way that we do that works way better than direct response because there's no direct attribution to revenue, right? And so when you, if you start to recognize that, that in order to do a lot of these things and actually innovate, you need to forgo measurement, that it starts to give you a, a different sense. Now, we have some specific things on paid social about why this doesn't work. And so the reason that it fails is because you are trying to convert someone in an awareness channel that does not have buying intent. They did not log into LinkedIn to download your ebook, sit on a demo with your, you know, a band call with your SDR, and then go into a, a, a demo with an AE and then get seven of their coworkers on board and then try and get their CFO to sign off on your 100K SaaS tool. They were not there to do that, which is why they always fall off most likely before a demo. But the only thing that you can do in paid social is direct response because CFOs and even CMOs force direct attribution onto marketers inside of paid social as if it's Google. And so when you get, when you force your marketers into direct response, or actually let me rephrase that, when you force your marketers into um, needing attribution, you must run conversion-based stuff because those things are gonna be on mobile devices and there's not gonna be some type of cookie. And so in order to track that thing, you must convert them. 
And so, and so you must, you actually must convert them and then you must do something after that with them, which is only an, a nurture email, nurture automated MQL score or sales cadence. And if you actually looked at the end, you would realize that it's not working enough. I've actually never seen a sales led motion for an ACV greater than 15 K that has an advertising CAC payback of less than six months. It's probably less than 18 months if I really look at it, but I want to be conservative here. It's probably less than 18 months that of running direct res response on LinkedIn and then looking at the revenue that's created against the spend. And it's just way out of whack. And so, um, I want people to really think about the, uh, if, if you, are able to, and we talk a lot about this on the podcast about alternative ways to measure marketing and alternative ways to, to quantify the impact of a channel. Um, but honestly, and it came through in the question afterwards that we're going to cover, this is really a, a, I'm talking to, to some CMOs here, but it's mainly a conversation with CFOs and head of sales and CEOs that don't get marketing. And so in order for them to feel good about sp spending 75 K on LinkedIn, they need to, they need to have something that's tangible out of it. And so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pause there on this one, but in order to go out and here, this is, this is actually a clear way to do it. And actually in order to go out and create demand, you must forego measurement when you are creating demand, you recognize that these people are, are, do not have intent and you are there to educate them, not convert them. And therefore you won't be able to measure it. And the places where they're doing that are not places that you're going to be able to measure because they're far away from the funnel. And so companies continue. And I talk about this example a lot, but we really need to think about it. Companies look at this in a Google desktop world. It is 2021. <laughs> right? We are in a mobile first social platform content consumption world. And when those things happen, the Facebooks, the Googles, the LinkedIn's are the ones that have the data, not, not inside of your CRM because they can connect the dots and you're not going to be able to. And so, um, it's why companies don't, it's, it's why companies stick to, you know, a lot of direct responses because they don't actually consider the idea that there are people out there that they want to actually educate to pull in. Um, so maybe that sparked a question because I would love to kind of go that and then we'll get back to the topic. Sparked a question from me, Chris. Okay. Cool. What, what do you think it's going to take to actually have people change? Cause we've been talking about this for a while. I think this like, what is going to have to happen for people to finally make this, this shift time, um, more successful companies that do it the right way so that there's like more concrete examples to point to. I so I think this is a huge opportunity for the ones that can recognize this and move because I don't see companies moving on this anytime soon. The reason that I don't see them moving anytime soon is because they are told by both MarTech vendors and Gartner, who's paid by MarTech vendors to, to measure marketing the way that the MarTech vendors tools can measure it. 
And then in order, in order to, so in order to use the tool, you need to measure it this way. Our tool measures that, and this is how you do marketing. And so honestly, I do not see this changing because of that. And so it's a reason why we don't use a lot of MarTech tools because you don't need them. You know what I mean? If you understand how to do marketing and you understand what's going on in each individual channel and you understand how people buy things, I don't need attribution. Gatano talked about it on the live, the live event. When we did a couple of weeks ago, he was like, we bought visible. We ran it through. We didn't learn anything that we didn't know. And there was nothing actionable out of it. And that's what you're going to get. So if the only reason to have visible is to prove it to you, to spend a lot of money on an attribution tool to prove it to your CFO. And the visible thing can only measure things that are on a desktop computer. So um, to answer your question, like directly, I don't, I don't see it changing, which leaves a lot of opportunity for the ones that can like the idea. And I, it's, it's insane. I wanted to, to Brent mention this in the next one, but I need to say it here. The idea that if I was inside of a company and I was running a marketing department and I ran the marketing department, the way that I run my company and we were in July or August of 2019 and we had one customer and I was spending three hours a day making video on LinkedIn and replying to comments and getting three likes, the CFO would come over to me and say, where are all the leads or you're fired. And that is why there is no innovation inside of B2B companies because they do not give things enough time to actually work. <laughs> and so um, the idea that you, the only way that you make a meaningful movement on metrics that actually matter inside of a company that has a complex sales cycle that is, you know, 30 plus days is is to pump up metrics. So what they will do and what, like I could do this at any point, I could do this at any point with our customers, our customers come in. I'm not sure that this is working. It's 60 days in, I could turn, flip a switch in five seconds and run ads to their get a demo page and pump up their get a demo at um, submissions so that they feel good for 30 days. Like it is, it's not hard to do that. For some reason they think that it's hard. Like I choose not to do it because I know that the downstream metrics don't work. Yeah. David had a good point. He said that it might take generational change in leadership for this to, to really. It's change, true. I it's think true. Is, is probably the close, close to the right answer. And, Why and the words is always David. Tr truly the, the, the reason that we're like this is because the, the generation of executives that run companies and it's no fault to them. They, they began their career in running companies in a B2B environment that was only sales. It was hand to hand. And so, and I mentioned this today to somebody that I was talking to is that now it's like marketing to them is finding any mark, any channel that they consider a marketing channel and trying to force people to do sales through it. That's what it is. And so, um, it, I do believe that it might be a generational change. I wish that more people would recognize how buyers change and how the world has changed like the, and, and so I, I wish those things would happen, but honestly, like the, when any of these big changes happen, first movers move and first movers win often if they're good and other people look back five years later and say, I wish I did that. There are major brands 
Like if you, it's already happened with Drift on LinkedIn. There are major companies being built in specific marketing channels and other companies don't even know what's happening. And so I'm really, I'm, I am super interested to pull, to pull this clip in five years. And when our company is 25, 30, 50, whatever million dollars and, and, and say that that we were built by doing Zooms and LinkedIn and podcasts and nothing that could be measured. And we built a large business and our customer acquisition cost was tiny. And maybe it took a second longer, but honestly, it's not going to take any longer. This is going to go way faster than if we had a sales team. So that's where I'm at. But yes, generational, generational change, which will take, it'll take a very long time. Or, or, when companies get absolutely forced to change. But right now there is, there's, there's too much um, venture money that doesn't create enough pressure to need to change. And so, and if you, if you are low on venture money and you're not gonna be able to raise any anymore, it is too late. And so you don't hear about all the companies that raise money and then fail we only hear from my friends from OpenView every once in a while on LinkedIn about the company that raised a billion dollars at a $24 billion valuation, not the thousand companies that crashed and burned in the meantime. So companies Victoria will eventually get, I think we'll get forced to, to change. Yeah. Victoria had a really interesting observation that attribution itself was a generational change. When she started in marketing, there wasn't really a way to track anything. So a lot of it was on intuition and information. Now we've sort of gone to the other extreme. Um, So we'll either go back or maybe to a middle ground. It's an incredible observation, right? And like, who created attribution? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Now that we're on this one, who created attribution ad platforms and technology vendors. <laughs> and now they're driving you to do marketing to the way to do it. And like, so ad, ad platforms need to have some level of tracking in order to justify the spend. And so, but it's a, it's a really interesting observation the ones that, and it's, it's weird because if you really know what's going on, like I said before, you don't need it. And so it becomes more of a proof point to executives that don't get marketing as opposed to doing anything that's actually productive or useful. And I see a lot of stuff that gets tagged incorrectly. We, you know, plenty of our customers use visible. And somehow, somehow that's, you know, that never mind. Somehow those deals get tagged as a certain way. And then you actually go and look at the journey and there's seven stakeholders and it gets tagged for some like content download marketing that happened four years ago. And there was out, you know, outbound on a recycled lead way later that actually drove the, the opportunity and somehow it gets tagged the wrong way. And so... There was a bunch of questions about, which I think leads into the next topic of like, how do you transition from lead gen to demand gen? But... How do you influence a change like this in an organization? How do you talk to execs to get them to get this point? So there were a lot of questions around that, but I think that's really teeing up that second topic. Do you want me to read through the anonymous question that like perfectly tees it up, tees this up for you? Or do you want to just jump in? I think the context would be, I would be helpful just so people understand like where it's coming from, right? We can make up a topic, but this is a real life situation. So let's, let's read it. Yeah. So this person is um, 
in the midst of transitioning from a very lead gen focused strategy to more of a demand gen focused strategy. They are about a year into this process. They have all of the attribution tools, um, but convincing people outside of marketing kind of just alluded to this, but the sales leaders, the board, the C-suite about switching from something like syndication, which has really reliable attributes attribution to something more untested. And my current attempts of saying, trust me, are not really working. They were able to drop their MQL goal in half last year, which was a big step forward. And they were even still able to hit their SQO SQO goal, which was progress. Um, But there's still a lot of scrutiny on um, their budget. along with investing in paid awareness channels. Um, and they just are continuing to insist on, on attribution. So even though this person knows that if they, they cave to the pressure, the end results are not going to be good. They're in a tough situation. And despite the progress that they've been made, they they're stuck in asking for your, your advice and guidance on this one. Yeah. So, so we w- we're going to talk through this whole transition and a lot of the challenges that are faced and some ways that I've managed to be able to overcome them. But at one point, you need to recognize that at, there may not be a way to move this team. And if you feel that and you don't think that you can move, it is time to go. And there are plenty of awesome people that understand marketing that would love to have you on their team. And so I just, I really need people to, to, to think about that. We have a lot of talented marketers, both that are on this zoom and that are listening to the show afterwards that, and I was in this position in 2017, like I know what it's like. And it wasn't necessarily about, you know, justifying my content syndication because luckily our executive team wasn't like that. But it was the idea that I couldn't get the company to buy in at the level that I believed in. And so, and eventually it hit a point where my career was being slowed down because I couldn't move forward because of the constraints inside of an organization. And if you're an innovator and you're progressive and those things happen, you're either going to be miserable or you're going to want to leave. And the answer is to leave. And so I just want to, I continuously want to put that in there. And I've watched people, I've watched people that have, you know, after six months, haven't been able to make a move and then went and got a different job. And then, you know, instead of being tied to a content syndication goal to, to keep their SDRs busy, can go out and be a CMO at a big company, build their team and do the things that they want because the CEO gets marketing. And so that's the caveat. Now let's, now let's roll in here. So when I, when I look at these things and this, this question is a little bit more contextual because they've been doing it for a while, but let's look at, at first, let's just look at if we're starting it before we talk about anything about whether or not our, you know, LinkedIn ads that are not direct response are going to work or not before we talk about whether or you believe in Facebook ads. And if you don't think that our customers are there, hint, they're there. But if you don't believe that they are, before we talk about any of those things, let's talk about what we're doing right now. Let's look at all of the things that are going on right now. Let's talk about, I know that we're having done events, but we can go back and look. And I know that how pumped you were to spend 
a million dollars on trade shows in 2019. Let's look at how much it costs for an SQO then. And I, and I know it's high. I know that it's incredibly high. And I know that you're pumped the first day that that conference comes back to be able to spend $100,000 in the booth and $60,000 on a sponsorship and this type of thing. And if, and let's talk about how much it costs to get a qualified opportunity there. Let's call, let's talk about the ROI of that. And then when we actually go and if you actually go and do the measurement and you find that it's going to costing you $20,000 to get an SQO from your trade show booth and you won zero out of the five of them that you got, then that what they'll do is they'll say, Oh, but it was for brand. And they will make up an excuse about why the thing that they believe in is the right thing. And while we're talking about brand over here in a podcast or a Facebook ads or different things like that, and that's not okay. And so whenever <laughs> it's a, just an interesting, it's an interesting way people will find ways to defend the things that they have already accepted in their minds. And so now we've gone through events. Now let's talk about our outbound SDRs. So we have 60 outbound SDRs and let's just pretend it's hundred K each. So, you know, we're spending, I can't real, you know, six, six million dollars a year on our SDRs. How much does it cost us to get an SQO there? Okay. So now we know, we know an SQO for an SDR is going to cost us eight grand because we measured it across the whole year and we did that. And now let's look at what we're doing over here. So the I think the first step is just to level set with people about what's happening right now, because most people don't get it because they have accepted in their mind that their company at that size should have 60 SDRs and it becomes a fixed overhead cost, not a variable expense. It is a, an SDR to generate revenue is a variable expense, just like it would be for ad spend. That's how I see it. And so, um, you know, some of those, some of those things become very large line items that people have put in their brain that say, that say, you know, we're going to do that no matter what. So once you're able to actually go and look at all of those different things, like I, I mentioned too, I would, you know, go and go and do syndication. You've already been doing it and go and do the same thing. And I know that you're getting 50, you're paying $50 a lead from some, some vendor. But when you actually look at it at an SQO, I would love for you to quantify that. Cause I know that we're winning 0.1% of those, which means that probably 1% are converting. So that means you're paying $5,000 for an SQO that you're barely ever going to win. And so I think having like a good sense about that is a good starting point for people to understand. And then we can go and talk about what we're, what we're actually going to do once they understand the reality of the situation. And the next thing that I look at, because, and you know, it happens to us. It happens when I'm in discovery calls and they're like, we, you know, marketing is going to drive all of the growth next year. And I was like, okay, how much is your budget? Oh, it's 5k a month. <laughs> and I'm like, how are you going to drive 40% growth on your 10 million ARR company with $5,000 a month? And so for whatever reason, executives have a different view of events, sales, and ad spend of what you should get back out of it. For some reason, they think that there's this magical gold in, in ad spend that makes it more valuable than like a headcount for an SDR when they're just two different ways to get the same thing done, which is drive revenue. Um, and so being able to align on, on 
over here. It's costing us $8,000 to get an SQO. What is my SQO goal for marketing? Okay. You want me to get 30 SQOs. Okay. So if I, if I'm able to get an SQO for half as much as what our SDRs are doing right now, then I'm going to need 120 grand a month. Are we going to be able to make that happen? And they're going to probably, they're most likely going to say no. Um, so I think if I'm, I'm trying to get these thoughts in like a collected idea, the first thing is audit what's happening right now. The next thing is demonstrate that to executives and see what they think about it. The next thing is put together an alternative plan. The alternative plan should include all the metrics that we talked about in comparison to the other things that they're doing. I believe that these types of activities are there. It's not magical. It's just the most efficient way. It's just the, just the most efficient way relative to other ways to get it done. Um, and so an alternative plan where you have metrics, where you understand your, you know, as much as I hate the word, you understand your CPL, you understand your cost per SQO, you understand what it's going to cost, what it's going to cost you to acquire a customer. You understand that that is acceptable. And then you have a plan, a roll up plan for how that's going to get it done. And so I look and I say, okay, we're going to, we need to get a hundred, um, a hundred demo requests inside of the ICP in order to drive our 45 SQOs this month. And it, people that just heard that math were probably pretty surprised. Yes, we have companies that have their raw demo requests convert to SQOs at 45%. There are other companies that I audit that have it converted 3%. And so that's just a, a different style. So you know those different metrics and then you present the plan. So Google 25. Facebook is going to influence 27. If we did absolutely no marketing, we would get 20. If we shut everything off, if we did nothing, a certain amount of people are going to look for what we need and they're going to get it. Try and estimate that. We're going to get this many out of LinkedIn. And you can set up, like we've talked enough, I'm not going to go back into our custom conversions, but you can go back to, to set up custom conversions to get you an indicator that it's moving the needle at an acceptable cost. Um, I will say, you know, short sidebar, the attribution window changes inside of Facebook and it's also affecting LinkedIn. Um, are, are interesting. I'll come back next week with a more detailed overview, but the change from seven to 28 days is dramatically under reporting impact. And it's not just, it's not only happening on Facebook, it's happening on LinkedIn as well. That's sort of, that's sort of where I would, um, where I'd recommend going there. Um, Matt had a, a good question that I think ties into this. As you're presenting your alternative plan, what are some leading indicators that you can point to that your new recommendations are, are working? Cause I think that's part of it. He points out that it's difficult to say, trust me, just wait three months, wait six months, and we'll see the revenue results, the pipeline results mm -hmm. later. So what are some good leading indicators to that, that you can look at? Yeah, it's tough, right? Because like if, and I like, I love using my example because it's real, right? We went from having one customer to having 20 and a team of, of 20 people in, you know, 16, 14 months or whatever the timeline was with no indicators, right? Like I was on LinkedIn. If you asked me for what was the indicator, it I would say I'm posting content and three CMOs that look like types of companies that we might want to work with commented on my post. Good luck telling that to a CFO. 
people need to change their mindset around. This is not a, I need to convince you. I need to give you data. It is, you need to change your mindset around what marketing is. We're trying to fix the wrong thing is the way that I see it. Like the, the value and the way that I always look at this is that the qualitative indicators predict the future of what you're going to see quantitatively. I knew that LinkedIn was going to work when I was in the comments with one CMO. I knew when I got seven likes and four of them were the right people that it was going to work. It was qualitative. I needed to go in there and see it. Seven likes doesn't mean anything to anyone, but four CMOs mattered to me. And so I was able to follow that track. It's hard. It's, it's, it's into it's intuition and knowing kind of like where to spend your time and also being so close to the customer. Like it was very clear that the stuff was working when people were engaged with the information and resonating and different things like that. Um, if you need to have indicators at the beginning, you need to be going for efficacy. Another problem with companies, they expect to turn on ads and have it running at 100% efficiency, perfect system straight away. That is not how it works. We're going to get to that in point three. It takes time to build this stuff. It takes time to make processes. It takes time to learn your audience. It takes time to refine the targeting. It takes time to optimize the channels. It takes time to figure out the mix. The stuff takes time. Everything takes time. If you, if you wanted to build your 100-person sales team from the ground up, that would take you time. So I just, so, but anyway, the leading indicators, you're going for efficacy. And so what I want to see is I want to see if you're trying to get efficacy on paid search for your non-branded terms, I want to see people that are clicking on the ad, going to the landing page, converting on the form to ask for a demo that fit your ICP. And you should be able to do that in 30 days. And Google ads is the most black and white. Now, if we move to a Facebook or a LinkedIn, paid, then you would need to set up custom conversions and you would need to, um, and you would need to drive people through it. The thing that we've been doing in the interim, by the way, this is a good point for people is, is if you shift your mind. And I've, I said this to a customer today is that what we do at refine labs is give you access to say whatever you want to your customers all the time. That's what we do. And we know how to do it well. And so if you think about it that way, a leading indicator is sometimes we will run a webinar gated direct response type, not a gated webinar, a direct response to sign up for a webinar to an audience to collect the information of the people to then show the company, here's 50 people that signed up for your webinar. They're all VPs at the types of companies that you want to work with inside of your ICP. Now, once they attend the webinar, now we have 50,000 of those people that we can keep marketing to. So I know that we have SDRs over here that are calling these people and not reaching them and celebrating to get three connects in a day. And we can connect with them all the time for way less in the places that they want in the way that they want it. Like, <laughs> so I think just changing, I, I just wish people would change their mind with the fact that you can communicate directly with your customers and it doesn't need to be through a sales rep. So you can convert those, you can convert those people on a webinar. You can show them to executive. You can say, we have immediate access to all of these people. They're all the, they're, they all look like this. They're all our target buyer. I want to market to them. Um, so that would be an intermediate step to build confidence in the targeting. 
And then you should set up custom conversions and look for efficacy on those audiences of running through. And if you have attribution set up, you should again, be able to see that within 14 days maximum. Some, depending on your spend, right? Like you should figure out what your, your funnel metrics are, and then you should spend enough in order for that to happen. Um, and so you should see, we ran, you know, this thing, to our metadata audience filled with our ICP of CISOs on Facebook. And we ran it directly to them with no audience expansion, no lookalikes, nothing. And we spent a thousand dollars and one person submitted a pricing request and one person submitted a demo request. And we, you know, we did that for a thousand dollars or whatever I said. We, and so we spent $500 for this demo. Facebook is working. How much can, how much can we push it? And then people are like, Oh, we only got two demos out of Facebook. It's like, you need to do the work. You need to keep refining. You need to keep trying new messaging. You need to keep trying new audiences. You need to do these things. And the exact same thing that I just said on Facebook could be outlined on LinkedIn. I do LinkedIn second, to be honest, this is the third customer in a row that I've tried to do them in parallel. And then I get a month in and I'm like, forget LinkedIn for right now. It is too expensive. It's, it's too expensive to learn on. I'm going to figure it out on Facebook. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to optimize Facebook, max it out because it's better performing than LinkedIn. I'm going to max it out. It has more scale. The ML algorithm is better. It's just a better channel in B2B SaaS. And then I'm going to take those learnings and I'm going to go narrow targeted on LinkedIn when I can spend my full attention on it. And I don't have someone breathing down my neck for six more demos. So I figure out Facebook first. Um, and so I would recommend, I would recommend that if you can, because it's way easier to show efficacy on Facebook. I believe that their attribution is better too. Um, and so I'm not even sure what the original question was. <laughs> That's what I would do. That no is leading indicators. Yeah. So leading indicators, leading indicators on those platforms like that. And then you, you must be able to show a later funnel metric um, with, I mean, it's hard, right? Like we're in 90 day sales cycles and we're talking about the three to six month period of when you're actually starting to feel this stuff. Right. And so a lot of companies are going to pull the plug and that's, it's sad because what they're going to do is they're going to pull the plug and they're going to go back to doing the stuff that they were doing before that they know doesn't work because they can measure it. It is fascinating to me how many executives would rather do things that they can measure than things that work. They would rather do things that they know don't work because they can measure them. It is a fascinating thing. I think it's fear-based. I would agree with you. It's why, it's why there's such homogenous execution of marketing inside of B2B SaaS. You see nobody do anything different. I literally, <laughs> it's funny to think about. I've literally audited probably at least a hundred B2B SaaS companies in the past 12 months. 50-50, LinkedIn, Google, direct response, go, 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 ebooks, nurtures, cold outbound, you know, use outreach or sales often, push people through. There's no innovation in go to market. Zero. <laughs> and so um, I, I do think it's fear-based. I think, I think part of it is, is fear-based. I think part of it is that um, there's a different, a, a different level of advisory and and metrics that get pushed down to a lot of these companies that have taken on money to operate the way that their equity, you know, venture capital or private equity company wants them to operate. And so if the private equity company that just gave them $100 million wants them to run predictable revenue, like it's 2004, then they're going to do it. 
And honestly, the, the private equity firm probably doesn't care because they're going to get 12x, 12x valuation on the $10 million that they're going to get in revenue this year. So um, I think it's it's partially fear-based. I think it's partially um, the the ecosystem. I feel like you're on a roll and it, our third topic about things taking time would just like wrap this up. Do you want to go there or do you want to break for some questions? What are you feeling? Mm, I think if people have questions, let's, let's do one. I've been talking a lot. We had a lot of um, really good ones submitted in advance. Um, and actually um, Sam though submitted one towards the beginning. Um, I'm going to bring you on Sam. You have been a really fun new addition to DGL. So you can ask your question live. Be unmuting you. Hey. Hey, Sam. Hi. It's been a fun month. Thank you so much. I want to say that this has been so amazing because I worked in global role my whole career. My whole career is a video conference calls, you know, all the way from 2005. I was on international calls almost every day. So this is like really fun. And now it has video, so it's even better. Great um, to see you. So I have a little bit of a different background. I worked in, uh, in Shanghai for 10 years. I was born and raised there, just moved to the United States about six years ago. So my, my first career is back home was basically communicating, creating demand gen for international companies in, the, in a completely different market. And my job at the time was internal communications. So I communicate to the employees who speaks different language, understand what this company is about and connect their personal goals with the company's goals. So that was an interesting job. Mm-hmm. And now the more I think about, especially today when you talked about, um, so I had a lot of experience working with C-suite because they are the avatar. They have to stand in front of all the you know people mm-hmm. and talk to them about the goal. So as now in the, the technology, everything, you know, thinking about Drift, even you guys, you are building a brand. What you are doing, Chris, every Tuesday, spending an hour of your time talking to a bunch of strangers is phenomenal. And this there, is something that- Two things, are, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, one, we stay here for way longer than an hour, but two, none of these people are strangers anymore, which I'm, is the beauty just, of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm but joking. I'm totally sorry to interrupt you, go ahead. So I'm not- <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not saying that we're strangers. Obviously, yeah. we all you know appreciate each other spending time together. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is now I see more and more what you are doing is a demand gen for yourself. I try to convince CEO. I ask them this questions. What do you want? A lot of time they say, I want new customers and I want to attract talents. Because those are two things that makes a company successful. And I said that, what about if there's one thing you can do and can give you both results? And they always will, will try to listen to me. I've successfully actually convinced the two CEOs to look at LinkedIn recently, uh, something small, but I wanted to hear from you to talk about what we do, what the company does to employees and um, different functions share, what do they do to benefit the business? Is it how important it is to dimension? In terms of just to make, make sure I understand you, employees posting on LinkedIn? Um, or no. the CEO doing things that I'm doing or what's exactly your question? So 
a lot of times, like I worked for a company that's multi-billion dollars. It's mm-hmm. thousands of tens of thousands of people. A lot of people take a job working for this company, but really don't understand what this company is about. So there is a role for someone to communicate internal mm-hmm. internal comms. Yeah. What does what does the company do? I want to know how. What's your idea of of how important it is to drive the company to be successful from a demand gen perspective? And maybe I can add. I think what you're getting at, Sam. Let me know if I'm understanding you correctly. Like basically is internal employee communications at a large company, a demand gen strategy to help you further like build your brand. Like, I think that's what you're getting at is that like an ancillary strategy that you could deploy because you're influencing potentially a lot of people, especially if it's a really large company. Is that where you were going with it, Sam? Mm -hmm. Here is the idea. I think, I believe that when everybody in the company has the same vision together with the CEO, it, it, it creates a really strong force. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, to you, Meg, what you, Megan, just said, yes, it's important for us to develop ourselves and you know for our personal brand, but it's also important for a company to align with our employees so everybody yeah. understands. So the feeling yes. is culture and internal comms is one input to creating that, right? There's a lot of other ones. Um, and in my experience, because I spent a lot of time both in my current job, but also when I was in my an employee, I spent a lot of time studying executives. I think it, it was, I think was something that I learned the most from, and I would watch how they would make decisions and I would watch how they would treat other people. And I would watch who they would promote and who they wouldn't. And I would try to understand why. And yeah. so the culture gets created from the CEO and yeah. what the CEO decides to um, incentivize and what they decide to reward and what they decide to uh, not reward and who they, who they keep in the company and those types of things is how, and what they tolerate is how a culture gets created inside of a company. Right. And so I think that is actually the number one driver. There can be, you know, there can be comms, there can be, you know, more, I would say superficial things like benefits and, and style and things like that. And so I think that there is a, a lot, I do believe that internal comms plays a role. I've, I've felt it from CEOs that I've worked for where they are, they can really cast a vision to people. It's powerful. Like sometimes like almost bring you to tears how like how awesome it is. Right. Like it's true. And so I think those things matter. Uh, The key is that when you say those things, you need to deliver on them because the actions matter more than the comms. Is the way that I see it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your question. That was a good one. I've never talked about that before. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Um, we have a bunch more questions that were submitted in advance. I'm looking to see who's here. Let's bring Bob on. We need our Bob time. What's going on? You had an earlier question on LinkedIn too, if you want to squeeze that in. (laughs) Oh, well, what's happening? Hey, hey, how you doing? The first, uh, well, I was just asking when you, when you were talking about, um, you know, companies spending money on on LinkedIn and giving up on it. I was just asking, you know, I, I think uh, the real quick question was brand value of of advertising on LinkedIn. Like, like how do you value the spend? I, I did one ad on LinkedIn and I punched out because it just, 
it made more sense to just you know go back to Facebook and spend the money there. So I was just curious if there's any value from just brand exposure period for that targeted because I was able to target, but totally there was just very little interaction. Totally. And so just to clarify my position on this is like, it takes a lot of work to actually optimize a channel to spend a hundred thousand dollars and get a meaningful result out of it. That's not leads, right? You, you know, this Bob. And so in order to, to make, to get an initial result and make one better, it is, I find that it's more effective to focus on the one that you think is the highest value which is another reason why right now we're not in on clubhouse. I know that there's a land grab going on in clubhouse right now and we're on a, on a zoom and we're actually trying to figure out a way where we could do a clubhouse and do a zoom where I'm trying to figure those things out. But like the things that we have working are clearly working. Um, and so in order to, to be able to get Facebook in a place where it's going, I just, I, I just kind of punt LinkedIn. Okay. And then once I have Facebook going, then I've actually moved to LinkedIn. And so it's like, if I go through my process, get AdWords to a place where I can start collecting data that I feel good about, get into Facebook efficacy ramp as hard as high as it can go based on the audience sizes and total addressable market of the company, optimize the creative. That process can take three to six months. And then once you have results, then you move to LinkedIn because once you move to LinkedIn, the spend is going to get scrutinized because it's ultra, it's a lot of money. And so you all, you, once you have the Facebook going, you actually get, you build confidence because the company sees that their demo requests and their downstream SQOs are growing. Right. And so you build confidence, which then creates space to go into LinkedIn. Just like I say, creating the space to do organic, you're creating the space to run on LinkedIn because, um, do I think that there's a, you know, we have, we spend $50,000 a month for some companies on LinkedIn. You know what I mean? I try and I, and we're not doing ebook downloads like every other SaaS company is doing. I do believe that there is a massive brand value the, and to, to, um, to kind of like hammer that home is that when we look in LinkedIn and we look at click conversions versus view conversions, more people just see the ad. And then in seven, within seven days, ask for a demo on your website. Like, so if I, if I had the budget, would you recommend then continuing with the LinkedIn, even at the spend or punt it for now and, and go back to, I mean, I'm, I was allocating some of my Facebook budget to LinkedIn because I just don't have an unlimited budget at this point. I'm testing. I was testing and my test was like punt. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know enough of the details, so I can't give you a hard answer, but my feeling is that you probably want to stay away from it because it, okay. you can, you can waste a lot of money really fast. Yeah. So I, I punted and I, I ran over to, uh, trying to do, do the YouTube pre-roll and this was my pre pre-submitted question. Mm-hmm. So, um, just real quick. I, I mean, I, I know it's more complicated, but I was in Google ads, right? I was learning that platform and, or trying to, and set up a, a YouTube pre-roll. I was able to, uh, you know, I have certain keywords I'm targeting and I was able to find, I found out from a, a user group, a page on YouTube that a lot of my target market goes to. So I actually, there's two pages that I added. One has 25,000 subscribers, the other one, 300,000 subscribers. So I added that as the targeting along with some keywords and I've created like a custom target market with some, some keywords. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the bottom line is, and I put like a daily budget in of a hundred dollars a day. And, you know, in the last like four days, it served up like, um, 49 cents worth of video. So it's not like executing, it's not like launching, it's not serving it up. Yeah. And I don't know if I have, maybe my, my TAM is too small. It's too niche where I can't put in something like eye exams because then I get, 
you know, 20 million patient types and that's not what I'm looking for. So I don't know. It's like, do you think the YouTube pre-roll for what I'm doing is too niche or did I miss, is there some tip you could tell me, go back and look through like, what did I miss? I think that your audience, I think that your audience is too small in order to deliver, right? 49 impressions at a hundred dollars a day, which means that they, they don't have anyone to give it to. It could also be some type of bidding strategy, but I've never run into that before. I think it's because the audience is too small. I would say so if you did, if you did channels with search terms on top of it, the odds of it being small was high. Yeah, it was, it was at the lowest threshold of like zero to a hundred K, which is kind of what it was from the selected targets. But you know, that was my second question. I noticed on, on uh, paid search on, on Google, like you could, cause I looked at possibly placing some ads for like a specific keyword and, um, and it was like, whatever, like I could go up, you could change what you're willing to pay and capture like a hundred percent of those Google, those, those Google keyword searches. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was just curious if there was a bidding strategy. I couldn't figure out how to apply that to the YouTube pre-roll. Cause I would pay a dollar instead of seven need, cents. Yeah. You don't need to though. You just yeah. need, you just need to find YouTube targeting is challenging. Okay. It is like, like I said, we found a good way with, uh, with a combination of six sense audiences built with retargeting, running direct response to a demo and it's working and we're getting demos for for 300 bucks, but you only get four demos because the audiences are so, so small when you take retargeting and put six sense filters on top of it, that it's small. And so, um, the, it's a huge, I'm working through it right now. I can report back to you on what I find because the the video that we have in that channel is incredible and the results of it are incredible. And I just need to figure out how to get to other people that need to see it. And so why don't you give me a week or two? Cause it's actually on my roadmap. I need to figure that one out because it's a high value channel for, for this customer I'm working on. So uh, what do you think yeah, about would, sticking with me? Yeah, no, for, for sure. I was, it was curious because you know, the three views it got actually had like, 50% and 100% view of a two minute video. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like that, that two minute consumption for seven cents, I would pay a dollar or $2 for that consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, but I just couldn't figure out how to do that. And then I'll give you, I'll give you three things that you can try in the meantime, one split out. I think you have search terms on top of the channels, split them out into two separate ones and just run search terms independently, audience independently. The audiences will get way bigger because it's an and function. Right. Okay. I might be limiting it. Okay. You might be limiting it because there's two things, two filters on top of one another. So split them out. And the third one I would try is retargeting just to, just to get efficacy. Um, and then I'll come back to you with some other ways. Like I need to work through it. I just don't have a clear answer right now. So not to totally monopolize, but I gotta, I gotta ask you this quick question. So I, I, I did a new ad on Facebook and it was just a cartoon picture. I know I saw they post about it. Okay. And, and so I've gotten so far, I got like an immediate calendar book and like five contact requests, which is by far the best ad I've run, despite like my nice videos I made with, you know, all these other ads I've ran, which got tons more. So got, it's gotten way less views or, but the, but the quality Mm -hmm. is much better. Have you ever done like a cartoon thing on Facebook? And do you think it like, was it the cartoon or was it the copy? It, it's a good play. I, I mean, I saw the thing. It actually does like the results speak for the audience tells you what the creative is good or not. Right. And so it's a pattern interrupt, right. Out of all of the ads that looked the same, it looked different. It had met the copywriting inside of it, I think was solid. And so like, I can, I can see how that would work. And if you have a track where that stuff is performing, then I would continue to move down that track. Okay. I'm going to have to put my wife to work, making more cartoons. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. It. 
Thank you. You got it. Um, I had one other thing I just wanted to, it's not for Bob, but I wanted to hit on it um, that I missed in the um, why direct attribution on paid social fails. And I just want to give people like some clear data. Bob's Bob helped me remember it, which is that is there brand value on LinkedIn? It's like, yeah, we run LinkedIn ads. And then we see that people that have never been to our website, at least not in the last 180 days, see the ad say, Oh, that thing looks cool. And then within seven days, you know, leave LinkedIn, go back to whatever they're doing. Maybe they go and talk to a colleague. Maybe they get someone on board. Maybe they see the pain point that we were talking about in there. And then they go to the website and then they convert. And so in our data, I'm going to tell you of the demos that have been collected since September one for a customer, 83 out of 124 fit that profile. They saw the ad. They never clicked on it. They were not retargeting and they asked for a demo within seven days. Okay. And so if you need direct attribution, you are going to miss all that stuff. You will, you will never catch that. And you will look at that and say, that was organic search and Facebook and LinkedIn aren't working. Let's go, let's go do something else. And so the, and this is not, you know, I, I imagine that companies that are running get a demo ads get the same effect and they don't know how to measure it. And they think it's going to organic search and they look at their, you know, lead gen ads for Instagram stories and be like, these leads suck. Let's stop doing it. And meanwhile, the impression is driving a conversion through a desktop computer later via search because they saw the brand impact. Um, and so I think that the, um, <laughs> there's a, it's just, it's fascinating when you start to think less about conversion based sales and more about like actual marketing, communicating with your customers. And if you can flip your mind on it, how much, how much more available some of these channels are for you. And that's, I think it's why a lot of companies don't, don't do it, um, do it this way at all. So trying to bring in more data that we are seeing that is real. That is not like this was a outlier in one customer across the board, 60 to 80% of demo conversions that are, that are attributed inside of LinkedIn and Facebook are view through conversions for cold targeted audiences. And you'll never, you'll never get those with attribution. You will never have that in a CRM and you'll, you'll never know where it's coming from unless you actually know how to, how to measure it. And, like how I think it's more of just leaning into how people actually buy things. Like I, I look at this data and it's nice to have the data to talk about this over and over until people get it. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I remember all of those things, all those software tools, all of those brands, all those other things that I saw an ad for on Instagram. And then three weeks later, a day later, nine months later, I remembered it and I bought it because I realized that I needed it. And the brand was the first one I thought of. And that's the, what I went to Google and I searched it and I bought it. Understanding how you buy things and then recognizing that you are not very much different in terms of overall human behavior than your customers. And then thinking that your customers probably do it too. And then leaning into that, I think has, has been a really helpful thing for me. We got a bunch more questions. I think just continuing to riff on everything that we've been talking about. So I want to bring, um, Matt, I'm going to bring you on to ask your question about custom conversions and you can give Chris your context here. I've unmuted you, Matt. 
to the show. Matt, what's Hello? up, man? Hello. Hey, I've been uh, cooking dinner in the background. So thanks y'all for, for keeping this going and I'll come on real quick. So we've set up, so I, I've been following the podcast for a long time and I'm now like working up the confidence to ask questions on it. Let's do it. Uh, we've set up some custom conversions in GA. Like um, one of the early podcasts we were talking about, like I'm actually measuring the quality of engagement with some of the posts that we're advertising. Are people scrolling down the page? Are they spending more than 30 seconds on the page? Mm -hmm. um, the trouble that I'm having is then connecting the dots to like, okay, somebody in this like imaginary or this group of 30 people, I don't know who they are from Facebook, but they scrolled down the, the page 50% and we're on there for 30 seconds. How do I know that that's my ICP? Uh, how do I trace that to somebody signing up for a trial then whatever number of days later, mm -hmm. um, is that a, the view three conversion? I'm imagining that in Facebook based on the custom conversion tied up to Facebook or it's like, we're trying to like push this and, and show instead of leads, let's send people the quality content. Let's see if people are actually engaging with that content. And then hopefully at some point converting to some other uh, conversion set for us, mm -hmm. that's a free trial. But um, I'm, just, I'm just not sure how to like, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. We've been working through this for years, right? So I, yeah. I totally understand where you are right now. And so just for the people listening to reiterate, whether it's in GA or Google Tag Manager, set up a, um, uh, a tag that fires when someone scrolls 50% of the page. And then if you're running some type of written content, you can drive people into that page and then see if the tag fires and then you'll know what percentage of people that are clicking on your ad actually land on the page and then what percentage of people that land on the page actually... Uh, consume the content as a quasi measurement. We did that a lot before we actually had like kind of innovated on measuring downstream demos. Right. And so a lot of actually we've, we've done a lot of innovation since we started talking about that. I don't use it that much anymore because we have so much, some things that are later funnel that are more meaningful and lean into the idea that we don't necessarily need people to click. Right. Right. So as we, it's funny because like the, the things that the things change fast things that we were doing six months ago are not necessarily the same things that we're doing right now. And so the, it's not a bad thing, right? You have it in there. You can understand that people are consuming the content. Um, the way that you figure out whether or not you're there in your ICP is you need to have confidence in the targeting. Right. And so I gave you an idea of, um, running a webinar and then converting 30 people and then seeing whether or not those people match your ICP, which then gives you co more confidence in the audience. Facebook is going to be challenging um, in a lot of B2B companies that have company firmographics, right? Like I, I can only go after companies in this industry or at this size or it, something like that. It's hard for Facebook natively to target against those things. And so um, the scroll the scroll 50 can work, but what we've moved to is a demo page view, um, custom conversion. You do that inside of Facebook. And so when somebody hits the demo page, the tag fires, and then Facebook is the only one who has the data to connect the dots between your website and their ad platform, right? There's no other system because of tons of privacy policy reasons that they would ever give away this data of who that person is on your demo page. Violates everything that that, that um, privacy policy includes. And so they're going to say that somebody in this audience saw your ad and then within one seven, or it used to be 28, but now it's just one in seven days, hit the demo page. And so you can track that as a, as a leading indicator. And then the next thing I'm going to look at is did they hit the demo? Thank you page. And those are the two that I'm looking at now. 
And then the one thing that I wanted to get to for people, and this is, this is why some people really struggle with this is that if there's, if there's too much noise in the funnel, you're not going to know what's going on. Right. And so, um, if you have garbage coming from all of these other sources, you know, you're, you're on these, um, you're running AdWords broad match, driving them into a demo form and everything's going in the same way and you can't, and then there's a ton of bad stuff and a little bit of good stuff and you're not gonna be able to sort it out. So like the first thing that I always do is try and clean the system, right? Get rid of all the, the garbage. Um, that's kind of like a note. I'm not sure if you're going through that, but I just wanted to throw that in there for the listeners is that it, the first, the easiest thing to do is strip out all of the junk. I'm going through with a company right now. We know that com- that people that work at companies that are less than 50 employees are not going to become customers of theirs. And so we're trying to figure out how to one, get, get rid of them in our, in our targeting, which on Facebook is actually a little bit challenging. Some people that are less than 50 employees are going to find them organically anyway. And so we're trying to figure out ways to move that out so that when we know that the demo volume is moving up, that the conversion metrics are going to be the same all the way through. Um, and so inside of Facebook, those two custom conversions have become my new proxy that I was using in scroll depth before. We still have the tag. I still look at it. But if you, um, if you're able to center on, I know that I can get uh, an attributable demo on Facebook for six hundred bucks for my fifty k CV SaaS tool, and you're seeing that, then I find actually the consumption to be to be less important because for whatever reason it's moving the needle. And it's, it's another insight. And I've, I've talked about this a little bit is the idea and I do it inside of LinkedIn and I watch a a ton of people not do it inside of LinkedIn for my own content is I do everything that I can so that somebody can get the whole message without ever leaving LinkedIn. And so we started to really adopt that in our ads too. It's like, what do I want them to know if they click and they want to learn more? That's great. And we're getting our clicks in our ICP for whatever, two to five dollars, depending on who we're targeting and stuff like that. But if they just see it and I paid one cent for them to know about that, was it worth it? Any follow up? Kind of got in little different directions here. Oh, I'll unmute you again, Matt. <laughs> Uh, getting some nice chat. I dropped in the chat. We get a ton of students because the company I work for is relatively well known in our sort of niche space. And so people will jump on to do a tutorial uh, of our tool. And so mm-hmm. I think strike like you, you um, hit on the head talking about like, how can we get this cleaned up in a way that the funnel that I'm actually measuring is the one that I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the custom conversions are somehow geared towards that. So that's the, that's the next to do on my list. Mm -hmm. Appreciate the insight. Yeah. And then it's just like, it, it, it's hard for people to wrap their head around the idea that if you're doing it this way, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be. And if you look at it as the sum of all of the parts, right. We're doing this zoom. We have the podcast. I'm posting on LinkedIn. All of our other employees are posting on LinkedIn. I'm doing events. I'm, you know, on guests on podcasts. I'm having Dave Gerhard come on and do this thing. And we, you know, all of these, you know, people are talking about my posts inside of their own Slack channels. How are we ever going to know where it actually came from? It doesn't matter. It's, it's have confidence in each thing that you're doing, 
right? And and so if there's ever a point where there's, you know, either nobody's showing up to this or, you know, people stop listening to the podcast or there's nobody on LinkedIn or whatever those things are, and it's not working anymore, just recognize it and move. Like get rid of that, trim the fat, and then go figure out something else to do, which is why I recommend content syndication, blah, 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 blah. Just cut it all out. <laughs> it's not, you know, especially when it's not productive and you can look at the data and understand that it's not. Little rant there. <laughs> Thanks so much, Matt. Great question. Yeah, good question. Um, I I want to bring on Anna next, um, and this is this is touching back to what you were talking about at the beginning. Um, so this is another good scenario where you can weigh in. Anna, I'm unmuting you, so you can ask your question live. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey. Hey, so uh, my question is, uh, I work at a small SaaS company and the CEO is very sales driven. Uh, and I know you've, you speak about this a lot. I've been there before. Other huh? I've been there before multiple yeah. times. Yeah. So my, I guess my question is like, I, we've tried, I've tried different campaigns. Um, there's always a lot of pressure to get a high number of MQLs. And by MQLs, I just mean like people giving us their information in exchange for downloading something or requesting a demo. Yep. Uh, so how can I get him some, you know, a high volume of MQLs while at the same time implementing some more, you know, some smarter, more strategic um, campaigns? Mm -hmm. We were brainstorming on this one today. I was, I was riffing with somebody and I think this would be a fascinating experiment. And if I'm, I'm going to try and find a way to get it done. And so company has whatever they need to get a thousand MQLs, which by their definition is somebody downloading an ebook and might be able to somehow buy from them, which is a bad definition at, at first. Like if you just change the definition of an MQL, you all those people would get excluded. You forget your stupid MQL score. And then you only for, focus on high buying intent activities like a demo request and you fix the whole thing. Right. Like I've been thinking about this more. I'm not really against MQLs. I'm against how poorly it's defined in every single company. Um, mm -hmm. And so we were talking. So you have these thousand, you know, ebook downloads that are tagged that are going to SDRs. And then what I would want to do is I would want to inject another thousand of people that literally are just taken out of Zoom info or a contact database and just track the outcomes of those two streams because I bet they would be exactly the same. This is, it's, it's, it's tough to pull off, right? Because like, if the, if the SDRs don't know, then they might talk about a content that was downloaded that actually, that, that the second, you know, group B never did. And so I need to work through how I'm going to experiment with this, but it stemmed because we were talking about Rand's article a couple of weeks ago where a person from Wistia was running display ads. And so in order to tease out whether or not the display ads were working, they ran one that was a Wistia brand ad and another one that was Smokey the Bear. And both of them, when they looked back at the data, they both had similar number of conversions. And then they, and then they stopped doing retargeting. And so I've wanted to do this experiment where it's basically like, here are completely cold people that we pulled out of a database that are inside of your ICP that might actually be closer to your ICP than the ones that are downloading your eBooks. And then I'm going to run these in the two streams and I'm going to look at the funnel metrics after, you know, whatever, hopefully shorter sales cycle. We could actually tease this out. Maybe in 30 day sales cycle, we'll look back at it in a hundred and, 50 days and see what happened. Um, 
I wouldn't necessarily recommend that for you, but that's something that I've been thinking about that I wanted to get in for the listeners. Um, yeah, you could tag them and maybe in Salesforce under different campaigns so that you know yeah. which campaign, if they're yeah. the, the zoom and forward, the other plenty, plenty of ways to track it. It would just be really interesting to understand. Um, because every company is married to this MQL model because they need to feed their SDRs. That's the only reason that they are doing it. Um, so how do you get them some, um, the ideas and I'm brainstorming here because if we had solved this, we would, you know, uh, I'd probably already be talking about it and we'd, I'd probably be happier. So in general, the, uh, um, like cold contact information, I think is a really interesting one. Cause I don't think that there's a dramatic difference between that and what someone did with an ebook. I, I oddly think that you might actually have more success completely cold. Um, so there's that one. I don't think in, I don't think like level intent data is going to work for you just at your size. Um, but I've seen some companies move to intent data plus some type of contact provider to, to move away from the MQL model. So basically just feed, they need a new stream of data for people to call and their abundance of data sources. They just need, this key is that they need to believe that it's the same quality of the data source. Um, and so, and then the last thing that I always recommend is just go through and look, do the math, like go through, we got a hundred eBooks. If we're, if it's organic, then it's organic. If we're paying for them, then we're paying for them. How much do we pay? How many SDRs did it take to follow up with them? How much we paid 20% sales compensation. We won one deal. We spent all of this money is, you know, is that a good buy or not? And I've never seen it be a good buy. <laughs> like it's literally never that never works that way. Um, and so perhaps that's a, um, a way to look at it is just to present the information. Um, and then I, I know a lot of, uh, and I've been this person. So I, I've been in your shoes before exactly is being the marketer, whether you're the only marketer or the marketing leader of a small team inside of a seed series, a type of company with a large sales team is a terrible place to be. It's an I'm I'm sorry, but I'm here to tell you the truth. And like, it's, I talk to enough people that are in these shoes to know that it's not good because there's a huge sales team to feed. There's in pressure from investors with a product that is not proven with no market traction that doesn't understand their ICP ridiculous lack of understanding of how marketing works and ridiculous, unre ridiculously unrealistic expectations all compounded into one system and all the pressure comes on this person. Um, and so, um, like it's a, it's a tough one, but how do you, what do you think about that? Am I right? Or do you think I'm wrong? No, I, I appreciate the sympathy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're very much right. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out and even the campaigns that we like for a while, we even cut most of the budget. Yeah. Um, and then they were like, okay, who, let's who do you social. sell to? What type of buyer do you sell to? Uh, CIO CTOs in the retail industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the end users are the associates in store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like in this instance, I was going to senior living. Okay. And like the process that I wanted to take is exactly the process, how I built this company to 20 employees in a very short period of time. I wanted to go out and talk to people. I wanted to understand their world. I wanted to, 
um, segment the market to figure out who are the people that actually want to buy stuff. I want to build long form organic content that doesn't cost money, but requires talent and time. And then I would have built that company to a very large size over the next three years. And they wanted to be on the MQL hamster wheel because they had 10 salespeople to feed and they didn't have any market demand. Mm -hmm. And so, and I eventually like had to get out of there because that's not how, that's not what I'm here for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I was going to recommend some things like a podcast or things like that, but it's, I just, I know from experience that it's not going to fly in those types of companies because their windows of the way that they look at time is so short. Um, so my recommendation, find contact information in a different way that is way less expensive. You know, there's tools, uh, seamless AI. There's, uh, I don't know. I don't even know a lot of these vendors like lead IQ potentially. I don't even know what they do, but I think they're in that category that are like a hundred bucks a month and get you phone direct dials and email addresses and things like that. You need to be GDR compliant if you're going to do bulk email, but they can use it for dialing, um, to try and relieve the pressure on marketing so that marketing can actually do marketing, not be sales as assistant. Yeah. I'll keep you posted. Please do. Would love to learn what, would love to learn what you find. Um, mm -hmm. And then it, it comes back to the thing at the beginning. Like if you're at a place where you don't feel like you can be successful, then there's a lot of people that would love to have you at their company. And so I just, I like saying that because I've done it a couple of times and it's always worked out for the better. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, I'm not telling you to do it, but I'm just telling you that there is an option. Yeah, no, definitely uh, aware of that. Awesome. Um, yeah. So can I, can I follow up with another question? Always. We're okay. here. Let's do it. Um, so you mentioned a few times that Facebook has worked well for you. Um, so right now I am working with an external agency and Facebook has always been a bust. Um, mm -hmm. So in terms of quality of the leads, and it's interesting that you mentioned before uh, the um, when you have requirements, like the company needs to be a certain size because we do, we won't just sell to like a mom and pop shop. It'll, it has to be like enterprise size retailers that have tons of stores. Um, do you have uh, any, any ideas how to go about that? You're throwing me a softball and I'm going to hit a home run here. <laughs> this is great. Um, every company does this. Every company will, if you're, it's not Facebook's fault. It's the way that Facebook is being used by these people that deems it a failure. It works that all of your customers are on there you need to figure out how to get to them and then you need to figure out how to tell them a story. Right. And so what companies will do is they're running their gated eBooks to CISOs on their, on LinkedIn. And they'll say, Oh, but Facebook CPMs are cheaper. Let's go after CISOs on Facebook. And then they'll run the exact same play on Facebook and they'll get Gmails and they'll use bad expansion. The targeting's not good and they'll get bad leads. And that's what everyone does on Facebook because they don't understand how to do marketing. <laughs> and so, and then you, and then when you get there, you're like, Oh, Facebook doesn't work, which is what everybody says because they do that exact process and they spend $2,000 and they get that exact result and they give up on it. Now, the way to be successful on Facebook is to change how you use it. Um, so it's to change how you use it and to make sure that you can actually get to the people. 
And so there are some places in B2B where if you use native targeting, like I learned all this stuff on Facebook, targeting respiratory therapists and emergency room nurses, it was very, it was super easy to target all of those people natively on Facebook. I just went and typed in their job title and I saw 50,000 ER nurses and then I ran ads to them about the clinical trials and these things. It was super easy. Now, when you start getting into SaaS, where it's like, we can only sell, we want to sell to these four industries at 200 employees and above to these job titles, then you need a tool in order to target better on Facebook or you shouldn't use it. And the only reason to get a tool to target better on Facebook is if you're prepared to spend 25, 50, $100,000 a month or it's not worth it. And so, um, in the, in those types of cases, I would actually recommend LinkedIn, small TAM. There's not a ton of people that you're going after. And, and so LinkedIn, it's going to be a little bit more pricey, but your audience is going to be cleaner. And then if you, and then it's just about changing the strategy. It's like, what am I trying to say to these people? Not how do I get them to convert so we can cold call them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what do yeah. I need to, what do I need to say to them? And then you can build, and then it's just rapid, especially with small audiences is a rapid creative, right? If you're spending a hundred bucks a day and there's only a thousand people in that audience, then you're going to need to refresh creative every single day, which gives you another shot every day to tell a different story to your buyer. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when you, when I think about this differently about how everyone does, and it's what I've been doing for five years and it's served me quite well is the idea that instead of having one-to-one sales conversations, I can have one-to-one guaranteed communication with every single one of our customers by using these ads and putting messages in front of them by using paid ads to distribute information to people in a way that's way more effective in a way that they actually stop and read it. Not that they delete your email before they even open it. Not that they hang up on your cold call before you can even tell them your company name. And so, and at way more scale than the manual or even the automated like sales engagement platforms will ever be able to do. And so that is the way that I use paid social is just more effective communication than any other way. So LinkedIn, build out the audience, make sure it's narrow because it's going to, it's going to cost money. I'm not sure what type of budget you have. LinkedIn's what we we've been doing uh, because I definitely don't have the budget that you were mentioning that we should be having on Facebook. Yeah. And so LinkedIn makes sense. And then it's just, you got to clear the metrics before you ever think about running the channel the way I just told you. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the thing that people don't understand, and I'm trying to pound this a lot is that I know that you're getting a hundred ebook downloads or let's just make the numbers more realistic. I know that you're paying money to get a thousand ebook downloads, but over here, if we just got 10 demo requests, we would get more customers. Mm-hmm. And so pe- people don't understand those things. And so they're just chasing these, the, the numbers make them feel like they're moving forward. We deal with it with our customers. Um, and so, but what they, what you don't understand is when you are, if you, if you did this for three months and you communicated all the things about your product, the entire market would know more about your product than they do today by far. They would know more about your product. And then if the product actually fit and you had messaged it well, and they understood what pain points you solved and the that pain points were actually real, they would see the pain points inside of their business. They would connect the pain point to your brand and they would go to your website. And so that's why it takes longer. It's because it takes time for people to understand what you do, to understand what pain points you solve, to understand how you fit into the category, and then to actually see the problem inside of their business 
get their colleagues on board and then ask for a demo when they're ready to buy. And that Delta is what companies will not just don't have the, the patience to see that through. And so, um, that's real. I, I've never said it that clearly, but that is really that that's what marketing does. You know what I mean? Like for some reason in B2B SaaS marketing is, is contact acquisition. How can we feed our SDRs as opposed to how do we get the market to understand everything that we do? How do we get the market to have an affinity for our company? How do we get the market to believe in our vision for where marketing or sales or finance or whatever is going? How do we get their attention? How do we get them to show up to our zoom and actually stay here for two hours every week? How do we, and so because of how um, executives measure marketing, it gets forced into these types of things. And I'm, I, I really am here to change. I'm trying to change that because it literally works better and it's way more fun. All right. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Good to see you, Anna. Good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. I feel like I need to get in a few questions that were submitted in advance from some of our, our folks that can't make it from other time zones that cool. always send I, in. I kind of segued here. If I want to cover three real quick. We were just talking about that, the Delta of time between someone recognizing, um, you know, understanding your product, understanding where you fit, understanding what pain points you solve. And then the Delta of time, and I can walk through one of these because we've done it. I've, I've, I've talked through this story once, but there's a lot of new people here is the idea that we were, uh, we were probably like seven employees and we were using a tool called Gusto for our payroll and Gusto was fine. We had a tool. It was getting the job done. Everything was okay. And then this company called Rippling started advertising. I don't know if other people at my company saw it, but I definitely saw it. Maybe they were targeting CEOs or maybe they were targeting all people or something, but they were doing massive execution on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Instagram. And I mainly saw them on Instagram and their execution was incredible. It was all the things that we talk about, all the th communicating inside of the copy, not trying to convert people, although they changed their strategy midway through and now they're trying to do lead gen. And I don't understand why. Um, and over time, I understood a lot about what their product did because they told me you can get, you know, you can get employees in all these different States and we'll do the, the state stuff. You know, we can, you know, roll, roll your health benefits up when you onboard people that will do all of that automatically. I knew all of these different things and it, none of that stuff compelled me to buy right then. And then four months later, we're inside of our thing. We're having trouble with state payroll or whatever it is because we didn't have whatever was going on. And you just say, I think it's time to buy Rippling now. And then you go out and then you go and buy it and you end up buying it in like third in a really short sales cycle because you already are sold and you don't even look at another vendor. You just buy it. And so that process for them to close that deal took four months, but it took their salesperson two calls because the marketing did all of the work. And so if you, if you look at that type of lens and then you think about all of the purchasing decisions that you make, you go through the exact same situation. You see something that you want to solve, or you see an opportunity to do something better. You either know about an existing brand that does that, or you go to Google and you find one. And so 
that's the way that I, I see marketing. Now let's talk about why, I mean, that kind of talks through the idea of why it takes time. You need to educate a market, right? Like we work with pretty large companies and it is, it is pretty surprising how little people actually know about their product. They might know about the brand. They might know about the name, but they actually know very little about what the product actually does in detail and how it's different than competitors. And so you need to communicate those things. People need to understand them. Under, understand that if you're in a competitive category, a lot of people are already using one of your competitors. And so what you need to do in that case is you just want to be the first one that they think of when their competitor fa fails in some way. Um, and so the, the reason that it takes time is that you do not just, unless you're running Google paid search, or if you're trying to light up dashboards with short-term metrics like leads, that it takes a it takes a lot of time, and I I consider it an endless pursuit in marketing of continuously getting better and continuously communicating with your customers in innovative and better ways that they like. And so, what does that take? It takes experimentation. Some things aren't going to work. We we run campaigns for we've probably done it for thirty companies in the past twelve months. And you, and there's some things that work for some and some things that work for others. And you just never know. You just have to run the experiments and some things don't work and some things work. It takes experimentation. If you're communicating, it takes time. You need, if, especially for companies that don't understand their customers because the messaging doesn't hit. And so some of the things that we do can expose strategic problems like that. Because when you know that you're giving the messaging to all of the right people, and then you give them the messaging and none of them do anything, then there's a, there might be a higher level strategic issue going on there. It takes time in iterating on messaging. It takes time on process. It takes time on changing your mindset, right? So the idea for... It's very foreign for companies to think about the idea of producing a different a set of creative ads every week that talks about their product on a weekly basis because they are used to building one ebook and then promoting it for three months. And so it takes time to actually move into a flow where you deliver those things and you're excited about it because when you give that, when you go and do it and you get nine demos and those nine demos, a portion of them become customers unlike the ebook, you start to get more excited about it. And so as you do these things and why I call it an endless pursuit is that you get better. You get better, you build momentum, you build confidence, you start to have a level of success, which then creates space, which then allows you to create experiments and do things that are kind of off the beaten path. Um, and so those are some of the things that I'm like, I'm thinking on this one. I just, it's, it's really, it's, it's tough. Oh, whoa. Something just timed out on my, on my computer. It's really tough to go through. And I, I actually talk about this with, um, companies that run ABM companies go in and go and invest a ton of money in, in tools, change their methodology so that they are all set and ready to go and do ABM. And then two months into it, they want to pull the plug cause it's not working. Two months into anything, companies that are not seeing that whatever thing that they think they want, they're pulling the plug. Podcast, we not we only got 20 listeners. Pull the plug. 
Facebook ads. We only had three attributable demos. Pull the plug. Let's just go back to all the same shit we were doing before. And so um, it just, it takes time for a lot of these things to develop. Like we're on this thing. We have 39 participants here live. The podcast is growing, but it, it we've been doing it for a year. And even by in a year and even by our, with our success and what's going on, some companies would not allow this to continue to happen because you can't, there's no tracking to met to revenue. Cool. Cool. Let's move to questions. All right. Um, I'll grab a couple that were submitted in advance. If anyone wants to come on live before the end of the show tonight, drop your questions in the chat. Um, Michael, I'm pronouncing your name correctly this time. He um, has a question about your frequency of posting on LinkedIn. In a recent episode I listened to, you mentioned that you had tested lots of different frequencies, um, even posting up to eight times a day. What was your metric you used to arrive at the conclusion that one to two X per day was, was best? Did it have to do with views, comments, or likes? Would love your thoughts um, on, on this in general related to optimal posting frequency on LinkedIn. Yeah. So just to, to recap for people that didn't listen to that episode, um, in the fall of 2019, wow, time flies in the fall of 2019, I, it was very clear to me that LinkedIn was going to be a, a really important part of one growing my business, but also for all of the companies that I intended to work with. And I knew that understanding that platform better than anybody else would give me an advantage not only to do my own marketing, but to have the knowledge that other people want. And so I pushed the boundaries in LinkedIn in ways that other people don't. I did post eight times in one day to understand what would happen. I did one, two, three, five, and eight and understood what was going on in each of those things because there was, you know, one person posts one, one post a day is all that you need to do. And I'm like, let's find out. Let's find out because one day, maybe the, I always use this example. I think it's funny. One day, maybe the CMO of Salesforce wants to know this information and I'm the only one that has it because I pushed the boundaries and no one else did. And so I, I did those types of things. And the thing that I was looking for is the, I think the idea it's more, it was more of a feeling, right? Like there's quant, there's quantitative data and likes and engagement and what's going on but it's qualitative when you're actually in there, which is, I think some people struggle to wrap their head around, right? Like if you're posting eight times a day on LinkedIn and you're engaging, you're there the whole day. And so when you start having more and more posts stack up in one another, they start to deprioritize the old ones. You also, I believe, and this is completely a belief and it's an assumption. It's not, there's no data to back this. I believe that you hit a point of audience fatigue where people actually get tired of seeing your stuff every day. I felt that when I've seen people post four times in a day. And so what we found is that the sweet spot was no more than two. Um, we had tried three is right on the edge, like in the morning and like around lunchtime and then at night. But I found that two was good, especially when my post, there was a time where the algorithm was different than it was now, where there some posts would take off and they would be getting engagement for six weeks straight. 
And so if I started posting on top of that one, it would actually slow down or kill the, the engagement boost that was happening on the previous post. And so I wanted to stay away from that. And so what I did was I posted in the morning and then basically you could feel the engagement slow down somewhere between two and 5 PM, in which case I could insert another one. And then I know that the overall engagement and attention inside of LinkedIn at like 9 PM Eastern is not high. It's not as high as it is at other times. And so I just don't, uh, there's a certain time period where I just know engagement is lower and I don't post at those times. Um, and that's sort of how I, how I got there. And so the one in the morning is, I think, uh, a lot of people do it that way, mainly because it's hard to get a post out that has that much depth at any other time of the day. It's like the only time that I can do it before, like there's too many things going on to sit down and do that. Um, and then the one in the afternoon is if I was feeling it, like I had one, I had one written up that, what did it say? Uh, I don't have it with me. Oh, I did. Have, I was going to post one today, but I held it off. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow, which was like, just so you know, sending cold emails that drive people to landing pages. And then once they're engaged, you cold call them is not ABM which is what a lot of people are doing for ABM, by the way, that is called outbound sales. And so like something like that is sort of like some of the things that I like to throw in in the afternoon. Like you don't even have to click see more. It's just like one or two sentences I find to be good in the afternoon. And so that was the experimentation process. What, what happens when you post more is the engagement of every single post declines. And I have, I have good content and I want it to go out. And so I didn't want it to, to slow down content that I had spent a lot of time publishing. That was for you, Michael. I've got, um, Oh, David, you had a question. Let's, let's prioritize your live question. Um, yeah. here, let me bring you on so you can. Hello, one and all. Hi. So great session as always. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Good to have you, you here. Chris. So my question was, and I want to preface it by saying, perhaps you just don't have time now because you're quite a busy person um, and don't have the opportunity to, but are there any vendors out there that you, you take a look at what they're doing and you've seen them and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I might want to experiment and copy that. So outside of your own clients who are already obviously doing very creative things with you, are you seeing other vendors in the B2B space, I guess you can find it, where you're noticing a tactic or perhaps a, a style of creative or some kind of motion that you're coming into contact with and you're like, hmm, that's neat. I hadn't thought of that. I wonder how that would work. Um, when you ask the question, nothing like immediately pops into my mind. If we look at it like objectively, the stuff that Rippling was doing definitely influenced our the stuff that Rippling was doing that I talked about, like, like way more product marketing inside of LinkedIn and Facebook. We'd been doing that stuff, but we leaned into it way harder once I felt as a consumer how it worked. Um, right. So that was a, a, a really good one. I'm sure that there are companies innovating in virtual events and different things like that. Um, I just, I just don't know anyone off the top of my head. Um, would be the two spaces. But in terms of like, if you look at the general places, like what B2B SaaS companies run the same way, which is that they do these direct on the core paid social channels, they'll do direct response with shitty creative and a catchy headline. Like that's what it is. And then if you get to their website, you know, exit intent pop up drift chatbot that is ultra annoying. Um, 
And, and, and so I just, I don't see a ton in terms of like, uh, overall innovation. I, I would say that like, if there's a company that is ahead of where we are in terms of, uh, community podcast, um, LinkedIn, which I don't see, you know, Dave Gerhard is probably like the closest one, right? And I'm, his is B2B, but it's like B2B to SMB, SMB I'm assuming, right? But it's to e-commerce. Um, and so there's, I'm interested to talk to him and understand what he's doing. Um, and then some of the stuff, it's actually, I see it less in my feed now. I'm not sure because they've slowed down doing it or because uh, because I just don't see it in the feed anymore. But um, Gong used to have a much like stronger presence overall on LinkedIn mm. um, that is not there anymore. I thought that that at the time uh, that they were doing it was, was effective and quite innovative. Great. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Good question. Appreciate it. We have a few more that were submitted in advance. Um, Blythe had a question. Um, one question I had was, let's say you've done all the hard work, you've built your podcast, you've created awareness, you've optimized the lead flow on the site, someone books a demo with you, you have a sales call, but then what's next? What do you recommend those next steps look like? How pushy should I be to close a deal? Am I sending a proposal immediately? How do you think about what happens after the sales call? Um, so honestly, I, be, I, I truly believe that there's somebody better that can answer this question. And the only thing that I will say is that it is really easy to do sales when you do marketing well. We spend very little time convincing people of whether or not to work with us. We spend more time vetting whether or not they're a good fit to work with us. And so that is the, that's the, the difference here. Um, like we're not, we're, we're not sending unsolicited proposals. We're not, we're not being pushy. You know what I mean? And so um, I, I, believe that there's a, somebody that's better at, at sales. And I have the, um, self-awareness to recognize that while like I, we, I do it, I don't believe that I'm the best at it. I just believe that we close a lot of business cause we're good at marketing. Um, and so I would, I would kind of defer that question to someone that's better to answer that one. But I would also, I guess, while we're here, recommend that if you lean further into marketing and you do all that education up front and people come to you, then there's way less quote unquote, like hard selling that needs to happen. Yeah. And just to chime in, I think you and I kind of handle sales for, for the company, Chris, like the, the rule of thumb that we typically follow is like, how would we want to be treated in the process? So we definitely follow up promptly after the call. Usually there's some type of additional information or, or something that we're going to follow up. Um, you should send a proposal if they're serious, but it takes time to put a proposal together. So you shouldn't just send it to every single customer. Um, and we always try to make sure that there's a concrete next step at the end of every call, right? So that we know what we're going to do to follow up on. And then what I'll say is if you haven't heard from them and you want to follow up, um, give them an out, make it easy for them to say, you know what, I've decided to go in another direction. Now's not the best time. Um, mm -hmm. And if you follow up and they don't respond, let it go. And they'll come back to you later on when they're ready. So, I mean, those are just some things that we do that I think serve us well. And if you're in a similar context, Bly, those are just a couple of tactics you can think about. All right. Um, 
Here's a question from Charlotte. She's not on the show. Um, she has a very small budget and her question is around, um, how would you go about generating demand with a 40 K per year budget when your performance is judged on inbounds? How would you balance using that budget and maybe doing more organic, um, work that maybe wouldn't use up that budget per se? So with $40,000 a year, I would find somebody that is um, most likely uh, in college or maybe didn't, maybe didn't go to college and decided that they wanted to be a content creator and they're trying to get their content off the ground, which is actually like a real career right now. Um, and so they want to get their content off the ground and they're willing to, to be to make, to do graphic design and video editing and video production and all these different things for less than $40,000 a year. Those people are out there. Um, and so I would get that person and then I would go 100% organic, 100% the same formula that we're doing here. LinkedIn podcast, live zoom, edited, post-produced, distributed effectively. That's when you have $40,000, that's really the only path. And it doesn't like, we spend very little on marketing, but we, we, it's a lot, it's a quite a bit of my time and, and, but that's, that's it. So if you don't have money, you have time and ideally you have talent and both, both those things can work. The reason that we leverage paid uh, for a lot of our customers initially is because they do not have the patience for organic or they would have already done it. And so the paid can give a nice boost, get marketing into the place. And then over time you have confidence because you have momentum to actually inject organic later. Um, but what, like if, if you're a B2B SaaS company and you're sad that you're not getting, um, you know, way more demo requests after two months of running ads, then you're definitely not going to be a good place two months after doing a podcast. I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name, right. Uh, Adita, um, you asked a question earlier and you're still on. I'm going to bring you on. Please tell me how to pronounce your name so I do it correctly next time. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, perfect timing because I was just about to cut off. It's three, it's what, past two in UK. So you're um, a warrior. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, basically, um, Chris. When you just mentioned about the 40k annual budget, which is kind of like hitting me very hard because that's the kind of situation I'm in. And I'm spending shit lots of money on LinkedIn right now and really trying to get the leads. And we are uh, really measured on leads. And yeah. uh -huh. uh, and it's um and I'm just thinking like, okay, what else can I do? I mean, how do I go? go any cheaper and I thought about Facebook um, but the thing is that we are in a property technology so we are doing energy management software platform, mm -hmm. software platform yep. and um, and I just don't know I mean how do I how do I start targeting because it's easier to you know it's easier to target on LinkedIn because I've got those job titles sustainability mm -hmm. and energy guys and the interest groups and I've never done anything on Facebook to be honest with yeah. you so, um, so I'm just kind of struggling to, to get any movement I I just don't know kind of how to bite it. Yeah. If you need to do this, the marketing, like what you're doing on LinkedIn, then you shouldn't use Facebook. 
right? So if you need to run to get to run leads to do ebooks or even get a demo or whatever the conversion point is on LinkedIn, the reason that executives like that is because they can see that there is a job title and a company name. You know what I mean? Because it's already filled out inside of LinkedIn. The same person you can hit on Facebook, but you know their job titles from the third job before the one that they're at, and the company's not right. And people look at the data and they're like, "This data is not clean." And there are tools that you can enrich it with, but it's just not a, it's not a thing that I would recommend um, for mm. you. And so, if you need if you need to do lead, like true paid social lead gen for this type of company, you yeah. have to you have to use LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's 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 the pain because it is really expensive. But then, yeah, I was yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to try Facebook. But yeah. to be honest with you, from a moment I've asked the question until now, you know, you you kind of gave a lot of hints to me when I thought like, well, actually, I think LinkedIn is Facebook is probably not gonna work. But then I'm 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 also um thinking for a while now about just getting that content freelance person and um, get them onboarded and try to create a lot of content, try to create um, what kind of content. We actually have a very good um, product person, which is doing blogs mm -hmm. and he's doing data heavy blogs, which are brilliant. And um, these providers, energy guys are just loving his blogs. So that's mm -hmm. perfect. Um, but then I just need someone who can just, you know, come up with some good uh, white papers and things like this. Um, and then obviously budget is, is limited. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, probably the freelance. And then I just have to try to be as smart as I can with LinkedIn, I guess, as you say. Yeah. I mean, the, the advice here is if you want to run funnel analysis, then you can run funnel analysis on LinkedIn and say, this is how much we spent. This is what we got out of it. And then you can present that and then, you know, see whether or not the executives thinks it's a good use of money. Um, mm. and then if the, and if you, you say, does, do you think this is working? Cause to me, it doesn't look like it. And we're not going to be able to, it, it, you see the goals over here that you have for 2021 and 2022. This will not, this literally will not work. You can shove as much money as you want into it. It's not going to get us to our goals because of how inefficient it is. And so painting that picture for people to understand, because eventually the, these types of models hit a breaking point. You cannot, you cannot shove enough money into LinkedIn for it to, to spit out the things that you need over time. The seed series A companies can do it for a while and they can waste a lot of venture capital money to do it, to get to B, but it's eventually, it eventually breaks. Yeah, that's the thing that, you know, if, if you're not going to show good quality leads, you can keep producing MQLs, but then it's it's never even going to go through an SQL because it's going to stop at the level of sales accepted leads to be Thank qualified. You. And then they, it's just never going to get qualified. That's exactly what so, happens. You are correct. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's a catch 22. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So the, 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 the other alternative that I can give you that I think is actually good advice for a lot of people that are in this situation is to go and go and talk to the SDRs that are calling these people, get qualitative feedback on what they think about them. Uh, aggregate that feedback to understand what's going on. The feedback that you're going to get, I can never get a hold mm -hmm. of these people. They don't want to talk to me. Like I don't want to call them. And so you could get that, you could get all of that data and then you could ask them, what do you think 
it, do you think there's a better thing that you could be doing? I think that'd be a good point of market research. I might do that. What do you think is better that you could be doing? Collect all of those different things, present it and say, we need to change the definition of what a lead means here because RSDRs fucking hate these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I did because, um, the, the person who was before me like six months ago, um, she was just doing completely different things. And then the MQL was completely different to what it is now. And I introduced actually sales accepted leads because we don't have the firmographics as such. So we don't go for certain number of employees or certain number or certain, um, revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some things that I cannot do through marketing. We still have to have this discovery call to actually qualify them further. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've already changed the, you know, how the MQL is, what MQL and what's SQL for us. Yeah. Um, but it's still not working very well. So, uh, I mean, you know, another thing is that because company is quite new and then we still don't know a lot about our target markets as well and mm-hmm. about the personas yet. So we learn on the go. Nonetheless, the, the, you know, the pressure on me is huge because I'm the only marketing person in the company. Yeah. I talk about this from experience. It was not, it was not too long ago where I was in the series A company and I ran LinkedIn and Facebook direct response and drove 500 leads and did exactly what I just told you to do. Yeah. Right. And so it, it, I, I, I speak from experience here and these things are not, if anything, they're getting worse, not better from the three years that have passed since I was forced to do this stuff. And so like, mm. um, like those are the, I think those are the right steps. Yeah. Well, I'll, um, I'll keep trying. So it's a very good session today, by the way. I love oh. it. And, um, I'm going to get back to it tomorrow. Thank you. Probably. So happy you joined us so late <laughs> in the UK. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We got one more. Yeah. A bye. He's got his warm take. Uh, love that. <laughs> or maybe just a, maybe just a comment and a question. I can never let it go. All right. Oh, I wanted to get one thing in real quick on, on that is when there are a lot of companies out there that are doing uh, what we just talked about that are running uh, ebook downloads or something like that, or whatever, some type of low intent lead gen, pushing them to SDRs for qualification, watching them fall off and never get to an actual meeting and blaming it on the sales team. And saying the sales team needs to close more of their leads. And that is not true. The leads are bad. The number one factor in whether or not you close a lead is how they got to you and how much intent they had. And I'm not talking about intent data. And I feel the need to clarify because some intent data tech provider always comes into my LinkedIn comments when I talk about this and pretends like I'm talking about their stuff. I'm talking about someone that actually says, hey, I want to buy your stuff. And they say it to you. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for here. And so those are the, the the indicators are very clear as to who's going to be a good buyer. And I just, I literally hate to see when marketing teams make excuses on sales team performance when it's clearly lead quality and lead intent. All right, Abai, you're in. Cool. So I don't have any <laughs> temperature take prepared oh my for today, gosh. but I will try to have Get this one guy out week. of here. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but now I owe two tepid slash warm takes um, to yeah. the crew. So I'll try to fit those in. Um, just one comment to your point earlier, Chris, about like split testing 
the conversion rate of straight up cold leads that you just source information from some kind of info provider like ZoomInfo versus marketing source leads. Mm -hmm. We did this at my company, um, like basically April through October of last year, where we tracked, we tracked the, we had our baseline of just cold outbound performance that had been running for like two years prior to that point. And we really ramped up MQL hamster wheel style marketing and made that built out our own SDR team within the marketing team. So Mm -hmm. literally those were the only leads that they were touching. They Mm -hmm. weren't spending some time on cold leads and some time on marketing leads. So it was a pretty nicely controlled test. Um, And what we found was that the only type of MQL that converted better than a straight up cold lead was ICP qualified webinar attendees, not registrants, attendees who attended a webinar. There's an important qualifier that we found out that had something to do with our product use case, not just some kind of like, some topic that's interesting to our market, but that mm-hmm. doesn't tie into our product use case. Actually, you can do webinars like that and even get a lot of registrants and attendees, mm-hmm. but that was the only type of MQL that actually performed better than straight up cold leads in a meaningful way. And so mm-hmm. we continue to do that and still send those leads now to the SDR team mm-hmm. um, because those convert better than cold leads, but we basically don't do any other marketing work to generate any other kind of lead, whether that's ebook downloads or, you know, webinar registrants for non-use wow. case related webinars, basically. So, and I have all that data in a spreadsheet. So, um, yeah, I'm going to want to see that. Um, so yeah, what we, this is great. I, I, I love saying some of these things cause you could crowdsource this, right? Like I might be able to run the experiment, but you already did it. So, and I'm yeah. probably, I'll probably still do it anyway. Cause we're going to, we're going to have to with some of our customers, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to, I, I, it'd be super fascinating to look at side by side, I'm sure that if you, I'm not sure if you use MQL score or if you do other things, but to, to, if you segment out MQLs that were created of webinar attendees and any other demo requests, which some companies just have automatic SQL, whatever, but mm-hmm. just to look at all of those other low intent sources and compare it to cold outbound, I would love to see that data. Yeah. Cause I can, I can try it, to pull it up and I can try to pull it up and maybe share it with you somehow. Yeah. Cause if you, if yeah. you think about it, the the data I'm seeing is somewhere between like less than one in a thousand of those that you'll win. I'm, sh- I'm mm-hmm. curious to see what your data is. And I have to believe that if you have a, a data source and you know who your customer is and you go outbound to a thousand people that your odds of closing one are higher that way. They are. And like the, the conversation is just a little bit more direct too. You're not trying to pivot off of this content interest, which is like a I know. conversation. I think it might actually be a turnoff. Hey, by the way, I know we gave you this content. We tricked you and now I'm going to try and sell you something <laughs> yeah, as right. opposed to, Hey, I'm just going to be it's honest. Cleaner. I'm trying to sell you something. It yeah. actually is cleaner. It's, it's right. fascinating. It's such so, a turn off for me to download a piece of content. I used to hate it. I, I still, to the, I use Salesforce in 20 different instances. I still to this day hate Salesforce because every time I downloaded their ebook, somebody would call me right afterwards. And it was so annoying. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a danger too. So anyways, that, that's what we learned. And so we still do webinars and send those as webinar attendees, uh, for, for follow-up because those convert better than straight up cold, but all the other ones, we don't even spend time generating them anymore. What to speak of sending them to the SDR team. Um, yes. so your mileage may vary of course, but that was our experience. We're like eight to 10 K, uh, initial sales price 
B2B SaaS product. So mm-hmm. that's, that was our, that was our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question for you is on a Facebook ad execution I've seen recently, mm-hmm. I was looking for a standing desk and there's this brand uplift desk. Um, anyways, I was browsing on their site. I added their product to cart. I almost purchased, didn't. And then back on Facebook, I started seeing a ton of ads from them, but this was like the interesting nuance is that they weren't ads from the brand company page. What they were mm-hmm. were ads from customers pages mm-hmm. that said whatever John Smith, Jane Doe with uplift desk. And it was like a selfie picture with them and their new desk and mm-hmm. copy that was really like, they wrote it like, dude, got my awesome uplift desk. Or like, I'm feeling so happy. My office vibe is finally right. Like not yep. what brand would write in terms of their copy it was like actual customer copy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was super interesting. And like definitely uplift is you know, paying for those ads. Totally. I'm like, it's I'm an influence I've never seen anything like that. And I was curious if you know how to pull that off. Um, yeah. So, um, I, you know, in-home fitness equipment does this very well. Take a fitness influencer that has 5 million followers. That's super attractive and super fit and then get them to, and then give them the equipment and then have them mm-hmm. user generated content. These people have 5 million followers. They know how to create content, right? Get, let them create the content that they want, that they think will resonate the best, which create is, gives a ton of creativity, right? You basically outsource creative, right? And then you outsource credibility because these people have a ton of followers and a ton of people know about them. And then whether it's through retargeting, so they would probably retargeted you, but they can also target all those Pearson's followers that know about them. True. Right. And so what you do is you have to connect their page to your um, ad account. And then there's like some type of like sponsorship checkbox because it's a requirement now that if you're paying someone else to promote a product, you actually have to disclose that. Um, and then basically you, you have your ad show up under their page yeah. with a URL to their site. Um, yeah, super cool. It's, it's a really, really cool, um, a really cool play. And so it's, so if you think about that, like, let's just look at this in a B2B example, right? Forget paid, forget Instagram, forget attractive models with fitness equipment. What we're looking at here is the idea that you have people in the world that are credible and trustworthy and have an audience for your stuff that are go that have an audience for your product. And I have no idea why companies do not go out and get those people and give them the product for free and let them use it and potentially pay them a lot of money to create content about how they use it. That's exactly what you just said, except they're running ads to promote it. Yeah. Um, and it would honestly probably work organic for B2B. Yeah, it seems cool. I, I literally did not see a single straight up brand ad. All the ads I saw with this with type of ad, I thought it was, yep. that was cool. from a retargeting standpoint. Uh, there's brands that are really picking up on the idea of social proof um, to f- whether it's on an ad to cart or later. It happened a lot to me when I was looking at fitness equipment and then decided that I uh, it wouldn't fit in my apartment. So I didn't get it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a lot of customers who would be like willing to do that for that for us, I believe, but they're not like influencers who are used to running Mm -hmm. paid ads or who have like set up their business account or something like that. But yeah, there's like three, there's three prongs, right? It can be just user generated content. Anyone can go out and do that. 
right? I want to go and get my customer that based on our usage data is the power user at this specific feature. And I want them to do a 10 minute video about how they use this specific specific feature. And I don't care if they only have 10 followers because I want the asset, not necessarily the audience, right? So you have one, I want user generated content. Number two, I want the actual audience. I want the distribution and the credibility and the trust. And so that would be a second one and a second layer. I need this person to create the content, but then I also want them to distribute it because they already have the audience that I don't have access to and the credibility and trust that I don't have. And so that's a second layer. I'm trying to think of what I had for the third one. I don't remember. Next week. <laughs> yeah. It's been two hours here. Give me a break. <laughs> um, cool, man. Yeah. Those, those were two. If you could, if you could share that uh, data, however, is it works for you. I'd love to see it. Cool. And takes, takes are needed next week. Okay. Megan's going to hold you accountable. <laughs> our, our warm take segment. Yeah. But we're wrapping up your, the hundredth episode, Chris. Oh yeah. I feel like we need like a standing ovation. I don't know what, what we can do on zoom, but congratulations. Oh, yeah. Go to gallery. Let's see if we can get there. <laughs> congratulations to you. Uh, all you 21 people for sticking around here. You guys are crazy. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's interesting, but what I want to, what I want to do in the future is I want to have a, um, like an in-person demand gen live. I think that would be super cool. Maybe yeah. for at least David would be there. Cause I think I'm, I think you're still in Boston, right? So at least David would be there. Maybe Matthew would fly out. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, yeah, really appreciate all of you. Glad you're still here. Glad you're still here. And, um, you know, we're gonna, we're probably gonna pump out the next hundred faster than we did this hundred because we're really starting to move. And if you listen to a, a couple of the last couple of episodes, we got some great insights. Um, people sending me messages were like, that was like, I've been listening, I listened to all 98 episodes and that thing that they said in 99 was the thing that worked. And so uh, I love hearing those things and uh, appreciate all of you and look forward to seeing you again next week. Have a great week, everyone.